What a good video, guys. I love that video. Woo! Hot. Hot video. Ow! Guys, it is good to be with family. I miss y'all. I feel like it's been a hot minute since I've been able to be with everybody, but uh, God is good. We are so excited for everything uh, that he's been doing. Hey, FYI, on a personal note, in just a few weeks, uh, Cicely and I, actually next Wednesday, right? Cicely and I will be going to the doctor uh, to find out what uh, gender our baby is going to be. And, uh, and in a couple weeks after that, we're in the midst of planning some stuff. The leaders here are planning some things, uh, but we uh, are going to be looking to do a gender reveal. Uh, we're just going to have like an immediate family, but we would also like to have uh, this part of our immediate family there. So you guys are all going to be invited uh, to our gender reveal. How many of you here are team girl? Who's team girl in the house? Who, who, nobody wants me to have a girl. Thank you, bro. How many of you are team boy? You want a boy? All right, babe, there, I feel really bad if I have a girl because everybody is against you. I'll be like, baby, from day one, day was against you, but Poppy was never against you. Poppy was always here for you. Mom didn't want you. I wanted you. <laughs> um, that's on recording, man. She, she's going to hear this one day and be like, you said it, Poppy. Um, but real quick. Just as an announcement, uh, I know we had been talking about next week we're going to be doing our back to, or I'm sorry, our small group kickoff, but we're going to go ahead and push that back one week uh, just for scheduling reasons. We needed to get some uh, availability as far as the building, and so we're actually going to be doing it August 9th, which happens to be my fifth year anniversary, so we're going to celebrate our anniversary with Excel. So listen, I don't want to hear any excuse about, oh, I had something planned. It's my anniversary, and I'm going to be with my family, and so I want to make sure that you're there too. In all honesty, uh, we'll just, we'll, give, we'll go get breakfast in the morning. That's what happens when you've been married for five years. It's like, whatever, I took you to Japan, stop it. And so we're going to celebrate with y'all, but um, listen, just hear my heart, and you'll hear a little bit more about this tonight, but... We really want everybody to be there. This is a big thing that we love to do. Uh, not only is it fun and exciting, and thanks to the people who put some of it together, it's going to be pretty disgusting on a number of levels. And every year, I'm like, can we not make it gross? And they're like, but that's the best part. And I'm like, okay, I guess. I'll tell you this. It is the thing you remember, whether it's a good memory or a bad memory, you remember some of those things you've eaten or touched or I think there's feet involved this year. Somebody put feet. There's feet involved. Um, so we might just put a big old foot on Jalissa's face and right behind you. Sorry. <laughs> so we're going to do a few of those things. But listen, I need everybody to be there, okay? So do me a favor. Be there. Bring your friends. This may be a good reason for your friend to start coming to small groups. And so we want to encourage you. Uh, and I was talking to uh, some students that graduated like, maybe eight years ago or so, and I was just asking, hey, what was your favorite stuff about uh, when you were a student? One of the things that I always hear from former students is small groups. Small groups is what really shaped me. It's what really discipled me. It's where I found lifelong friendships. Small groups is always brought up. And so if you want to be part of our core group of people, uh, we want you to get involved in small groups, which is every Friday with the exception of the first Friday of the month. And we got some really cool things planned out for that. Also, uh, how many of you are coming this Saturday to help out back to school bash or want to? Okay. So all of you who raised your hand, I'm going to need you to stick around a little bit in room five. We're going to have a quick meeting just to let you guys know what to expect, what time to be there, what you're going to be doing. And so all of you who are going to be helping out with back to school bash, please, at the end of the service, meet me in room five. It'll be real quick. We're just going to run through it and make sure everybody knows what's up. Sounds good? All right. Thank you, Edwin. Uh, so... 
I just got back uh, last week. I took a, a handful of us, went to the Illinois summer camp, which was dope. It was hot. There was about 1,200 kids there. And, uh, and this year, I've done a bunch of camps. I've, I've been to a few different camps. I've gotten to speak at a number of camps. And there's, there's a common theme that I pick up when it comes to camps. And it, it almost feels like God does special things at camp only. Sometimes you get this sense that in order to have this experience with God, you got to be at camp. And the truth is, no matter how exhausting camp may be, no matter how tiring camp may be, you almost don't want to leave that camp experience. You almost don't want to walk away from experiencing the presence of God in that way. Now, the truth is, you can experience that God all the time because that God is not located in Carlinville, Illinois, or in whatever campground that you might be at. God is with you, and he will go with you, and he will meet with you wherever you want to meet with him. I think the difference is you go into camp looking for God, and you dedicate days on seeking after his face. And so if you did that rather than, you know, play Fortnite or go out or hang out and do some of the other things that we do, you would experience camp every day of your life. Nonetheless, there is something unique and special about a bunch of people coming together to have this camp experience. And there is this sadness that sometimes you go through when you're saying, well, I don't want to leave this place. I don't want to walk away from that area. And if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at Mark chapter 9. And I hope you have your Bibles because it will not be on the screen tonight. So you're just going to have to take my word for it. Mark chapter 9. Let me give you some heads up before we get into the verses we're going to read. In the beginning of Mark chapter 9, you have a camp experience. You have this kind of moment that we see at camp. And in this moment, Jesus takes a handful of his disciples, not all of them, just three, Peter, James, and John. And he takes them up at the top of this mountain. And at the top of this mountain, the Bible says that Jesus transfigures. Now, that's a cool way of basically saying he showed his full godliness. He kind of took off, not literally, but he kind of took off that fleshly human part of him. And he showed, hey, this is, I am really God. Let you see. And it was like this amazing, bright, brilliant, powerful moment. And the Bible says that in that moment, Elijah and Moses appeared. They, they came from heaven and they're standing there. And those are like two of the most important figures in Hebrew Jewish culture. And so here, Peter, James, and John, not only are they seeing the fullness of God being exposed and represented in this powerful way, but they also see their idols and their religion, and it's like this hugely powerful, incredible moment. It's a type of moment you don't want to leave. As a matter of fact, Peter's like, yo, should I set up some tents for each of you? He's kind of thinking, we just got into heaven, and we're about to stay here. And he kind of gets rebuked for that. He's a little salty about it. And you can read it later on and, and laugh at that. But then the Bible tells us that they start to go down the mountain. And here's the truth of what I want to talk to you about tonight. Life is not lived on top of the mountain. Life is lived in the valley. Okay? And we need to learn to live in the valley. There will be a day where we will all who believe in Jesus Christ and have a relationship with him, we will all ascend to that mountaintop. We will all be in heaven together. There will be a moment for that. But in the meantime, you and I live in the valley, and we need to learn what to do while we are in the valley. We're not just sitting in the valley waiting to get back up to the top of the mountain. Because as you see, when you read on the story of Mark chapter 9, as soon as they got down to the bottom of the mountain, the reality of the valley began to sink in. And let me read that for you. I'm going to read verse 14 through 27. It's a little bit of a longer thing, but it's important for us to understand the context of what's going on. 
It says when they returned to the other disciples. So remember, only three disciples went. The other ones were still down at the bottom of the valley. They saw a large crowd surrounding them, the other disciples. And some teachers of religious law were arguing with them. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe and they ran to greet him. What's all this arguing about, Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He is possessed by an evil spirit that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him in violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. Jesus said to them, you faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy, but when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. How long has this been happening, Jesus asked the boy's father. He replied, since he was a little boy. The spirit often throws him into fire or into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean, if I can, Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. The father instantly cried out, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. When Jesus saw that the crowd of onlookers was growing, he rebuked the evil spirit. Listen, you spirit that makes this boy unable to hear and speak, he said. I command you to come out of this child and never enter him again. Then the spirit screamed and threw the boy into another violent convulsion and left him. The boy appeared to be dead. A murmur ran through the crowd and the people said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and helped him up to his feet and he stood up. Kind of a crazy situation, right? I want you to picture Peter and James and John. They're up at the top of the mountain. They're experiencing the glory of Jesus. They see Elijah and Moses. They're thinking, this is what we're supposed to, this is why we're following this guy. And though, as they continue to follow him, Jesus leads them not back to where Elijah and Moses were, not to where the transfiguration occurred, but he leads them to a demon-possessed boy. You got to understand, these moments are great. What we do this time of worship, this time that we get together is great. I love it. But this is the top of the mountain. This isn't where we live. You as a ministry have to go back into the valley. <laughs> and there is purpose for you in the valley. If you're taking notes, the first thing I want you to write down is the purpose. And I'm going to try to help you out. I have horrible handwriting. Baby, you want to help me out? She got cute handwriting. I love my wife. You can write number one, the purpose. If you're taking notes, number one is the purpose. And if you want to put in parentheses, I think the purpose here is represented by the demon-possessed boy. The purpose is represented by the demon-possessed boy. Just before they encountered the demon-possessed boy in the valley, Peter, James, and John were at the top of the mountain. They were in the true presence of Jesus. His religious heroes were there as well. Peter would have performed to stay on t or would have preferred to stay on top of the mountain. But his purpose was waiting for him in the valley. This is what you and I need to understand. We would love to stay at the altar. We would love to stay with the music playing forever. We would love to stay just singing. We would love to stay just listening to the word and growing. We would love to be at peace without any drama, without any situations. We would love to have a life that was worry-free. That's just not where we live, though. We live in a fallen world. And there is a purpose for you in that fallen world. Okay? There is a purpose for you. And sometimes that purpose isn't pretty. Babe, you can have a seat over there. It will, will be a few. Sometimes that purpose isn't pretty. 
Sometimes it takes the form of, of foaming and, and writhing and anger and frustration. Sometimes it takes the form of addiction. Sometimes it takes the forms of, of gangs. Sometimes it takes the forms of abuse. There are people in your life that maybe aren't demon-possessed but are, are under the control of this world, are living a life that God never called them to live. And most of the time, we avoid the, those types of people. Many times as Christians, we do one of two things that's not good. We either avoid them altogether or blend in so much that no one can tell the difference. We either look like the demon-possessed or we avoid the demon-possessed. But God has called us to live in a purpose to help those that are lost, to reach those that are in possession of this world, to be that, that hand extended in order to bring Jesus to the masses. Listen, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 through 9 says, So never be ashamed to tell others about the Lord, and don't be ashamed of me either, even though I'm in prison for him, with the strength God gives you, be ready to suffer with me for the sake of the good news. For God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserve it, but because that was his plan from the beginning of time to show us his grace through Jesus Christ. In other words, you weren't saved because you deserved it. You weren't saved because you did enough good things that you've earned it. You weren't saved just to come to church. Could you imagine if that was the reason, right? God didn't save you to sit here on a Thursday night to listen to me speak to go back home. You were saved to live a life of purpose. And here's the thing. So many of us, especially when you're young, you're, you're almost racking your brain trying to figure out what's my purpose in life? Who am I supposed to be? What has God called me to do? What does God want me to be? Listen, I don't know what your job is supposed to be. I don't know who your spouse is supposed to be if you have one. I don't know those parts of your purpose, but I can tell you this. As a believer, every single one of us have this same purpose in mind, to seek and to save that which was lost. To go into the world preaching the gospel, making disciples. Every one of us has that purpose. That is not Pastor Joey's purpose. That is not the leader's purpose. That is the believer's purpose. That's where we live. In the valley, you are called to reach the lost. Here's where we fail to do that. When our whole time that we're living this Christian walk is limited, when our Christianity is limited to coming a Thursday and listening, but never acting on it, never producing fruit from it, when you don't reach any of your friends. I've had people all the time, Pastor Joy, God has called me to ministry. And I'll look them in the eyes and go, I hope not. Because you've been here six years and you haven't brought one friend and you haven't discipled one person and you haven't done anything. So if you think you're just going to go to Bible college and switch it on, it ain't going to happen like that. I'm sorry. And I can tell you that from experience. Because I've had people like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do it. And then they go and they don't do it. Why? Because it was never in their heart to begin with. They like the microphone. They like to perform. They like to be on stage. They like to be at the mountaintop. But they don't understand that life is lived in the valley. That we deal more with the demon possessed than the transfiguration. <laughs> that we're working more with the lost than we are with the saved. And so in your mind, here's what I need you to understand, guys. I need you as students to take ownership of this ministry. I need you as students to understand this is not Pastor Joey's or my leader's. This is my responsibility. While I'm here as a student in Excel, your purpose in Excel is to help grow it. Your purpose in this ministry is to reach the lost and disciple them. 
okay? Your purpose is not every time a new lost person comes in, you're like, ooh, who is she? Can't wait to talk to her and ruin what God is trying to do in their life, <laughs> okay? Your purpose is not, ooh, he's cute. I can't wait to start hollering at him so that he can be distracted from everything God called him to do in this ministry. Can I just be real with that? Like, it's, isn't it what happens? Right? I'll be honest with you. I grew up in church. I know what it's like for a new girl to show up. I know what it's like when you're like, man, I've been waiting for that new girl. Dibs. I got her. She's mine. And we're like sitting there fighting over her. You're like, I like her, but my friend likes her, so I can't go with her. And I'm sitting there like, how about none of you go with her? How about you guys just leave her alone and let her love Jesus and get out of the way? And can I say, it happens with the girls too. Okay? I told the cafe we need to start selling Gatorade because there's too many thirsty people coming to our youth group. We're going to hand it out. It's going to be free. <laughs> At the door, I'm just going to give everybody a shot of Gatorade. Like, walk in, no more thirst, guys. We're going to take care of that. And I'm, I'm serious. I'm not trying to be funny about it. Because the problem, and I'll tell you why it bothers me so much. Because everything happened. I mean, the prayers of parents, the prayers of leaders, for this person to finally come to know Jesus. And instead of getting to know Jesus, you're trying to get them to know you. And you don't look enough like Jesus for them to get to know you. And so the problem is they get to know you and they misrepresent Jesus and you. And the second you screw up, now they don't like Jesus and now they don't come to church anymore. Why? Because you just had to mess with it <laughs> instead of help it. Our job, can I just say this? Ladies, help build up the ladies. Gentlemen, help build up the gentlemen. Stop trying to hook them all up. Stop trying to find out all the tea and, and instead just drink water. <laughs> right? Try to help produce them. All you're like, oh, he likes you, he likes you. Just, hey, listen, I don't know who likes you, but Jesus loves you, and I can tell you about that part. <laughs> Our job is to help the possessed. Our job is to reach the lost. Listen, Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 through 13. Dear friends, you always follow my instructions when I was with you, and now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Okay, work hard to show the results of your salvation. What are the results of your salvation? What has been produced since you've been saved? What do you have to show for your salvation? I used to get mad because my parents, like when I started coming to Excel as a kid, every time I'd mess up, they'd want to throw it in my face. Like, so they'd be like, how come you didn't throw out the trash? Is that what they teach you at your new church? Huh? Do they teach you to not throw out the trash? I'm like, yeah, mom, there was a whole sermon about throwing out the trash, and I missed it. But here's the truth. Some of you have been here more than just a few months. Some of you have been here for years. Some of you seniors, you're going into your last year. What has your salvation produced? Are there any new believers that have come because of your salvation in Christ? Is there anybody who's been discipled because you got saved? Is there anybody who's closer to God in their relationship with God because you got saved? What are the results of your salvation? Then he goes on to say, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases you. Actually, you don't have it on the screen. It doesn't say you, but that's how we treat it. He gave you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Understand that living life in the valley has absolutely nothing to do with you. Living life in the valley, can I just, well, again, I feel like just being straight out because I just feel like we don't have time to, to make you feel better about these things. But can I just tell you just straight up? Christianity, this walk with God, it's never been about you. You benefit from it. We get a lot out of it, but you are not the main focus of it. 
And when you treat it like it's about me, the problem is when it stops being about you, you walk away from God. So when God stops blessing you in your eyes, you feel like you don't need God anymore. You move on to the next thing that blesses you. When God stops producing the things that you want produced, you move on to the next way that you can find that satisfaction. But when you understand that it's not about me, this is about you, this is about serving you, this is about loving you, this is about doing what you have called me to do, then God begins to pour out power in your life. God begins to give you desires and power to do what pleases him. So then it's not hard to reach your friends because it's part of your heart. It's part of your DNA. It's part of who you are. Because you love the demon-possessed. You love those that are lost. You feel for them. You yearn for them. You want to reach them. When you have that desire, God will empower you and give you more of it. Then you'll be able to see what your salvation has produced in this world. I don't know about you, but when I stand before God, I want to have something to show for my life. I want to say, God, thank you that you saved my life and that you redeemed me, not so that I can walk in here, but so that we can come. Those that came after me, those who got to know the Lord as a result of my life, those who experienced the power of your presence because it was big in my life. Does that make sense? That's the first thing, your purpose. But if you're taking notes, there's another person here in this story. I like to call them the haters. If you're taking notes, number two, you want to write down the haters. The haters in this story are represented by the scribes, those religious leaders that were arguing. So the Bible tells us that when they were walking down, Jesus saw arguments between his disciples and the scribes, the haters. Let me tell you what the haters do. The haters love to criticize but never help. The haters love to criticize but never offer solutions. Okay, you ever had anybody tell you that you're doing something wrong but never tell you how to do it right? Right? You know how annoying that is? You ever have somebody that's like, why are you doing that? And it's like, just get out of my face. I don't even like you. Why are you talking to me? Like, you ever had that? Okay. I want you to notice something. The scribes are basically berating the disciples. The disciples try to cast a demon out. They couldn't do it. And the scribes are in there arguing with them. And the Bible doesn't tell us what they're saying, but they're probably saying, well, see, this is what happens when you follow Jesus. You should have listened to this. This is what the scripture says. They're arguing. They're going after him. But you know what they're not doing? They're not casting out the demon. They're not even trying to help the demon-possessed boy. Haters are always going to criticize what you do, but never help you do it. You need to learn to tune those people out. You need to learn to tune out those who want to criticize you but not help you. And you will have critics. The more you follow Jesus, the more haters you're going to build. The more people are going to talk stuff about you. The more people are going to try to mock you. And if I can be honest, this is a big reason why many of us stay stagnant in our walk, why many of us don't grow beyond what God has called us to do. Because the minute somebody starts talking about you, you stop. You get embarrassed. You pull back. Why? Because you're in a time of your life where all you really want to do is fit in and God has called you to stand out. It takes courage to be the only one that's different. It takes courage to say, no, I can't hang out. I'm going to youth group tonight. Why are you going to youth group? Your mom's making you go. No, my mom's not making you go. My mom doesn't even go to church. I go because God has called me. And, man, I'd love if you want to join me. You got to learn how to not only ignore the haters but embrace them. Listen, Luke chapter 21, verse 17 through 19 says, And everyone will hate you 
because you're my followers. But not a hair on your head will perish. By standing firm, you will win your souls. Listen, he goes, everyone's going to hate you. We used to be, back in the day, I remember when I was a kid, people used to just be like, oh, you do church stuff, that's cool, do your church thing, I'm going to do my thing. And people just kind of did their thing. Your generation has become increasingly aggressive towards anything Christian. They're going to call you homophobic. They're going to call you, you know, church folk. They're going to call you small-minded, bigoted. They're going to throw all these labels at you and criticize you and try to lower you down so that you shut up. But listen to what the Bible says. Not a hair on your head will perish by standing firm. In other words, by not backing down, you will win your souls. You know what the, sometimes what the best thing to do with a hater is? Not respond to them. Just not say anything. Actually, you ever done that to anybody who's trying to get at you? Just not say anything? It drives them nuts. It's kind of fun, like for me, because I like that kind of stuff. It's kind of fun when they're yelling at you and you're just quiet. Because they want a response. They want a reaction. Because if they can get a reaction out of you, they win. If they can get you upset, if they can get you to, to lose your Christianity, if they can get you to go off, they win. But the Bible tells us if you stand firm, you will win your souls. Sometimes it's a matter of just standing and saying, I'm not backing down on this. Yeah, I get what you said. I love you anyways. Yeah, okay, that's cool. I still love you. Well, I don't love you. No problem. Maybe you'll love me if you got to know me. <laughs> I don't want to get to know you. That's okay. I still love you anyways. Oh, you're so annoying. You're not. You're amazing. <laughs> you ever, just low-key, that's just fun. Like when somebody tries to insult you, you're stupid. You're incredibly intelligent, yes. <laughs> well, you, you smell. <laughs> I guess I do a little bit. Yeah, it's, been, it's a hot day today. <laughs> you have no idea how powerful love is when it's the counter to hate. People don't know how to respond to you. And then it goes on to say in Luke chapter 6, verse 22 through 23, what blessings await you when people hate you and exclude you and mock you and curse you as evil because you follow the Son of Man. Think about that. People are going to cut you out of their lives. People aren't going to invite you places. People aren't going to let you be a part of their group. They're going to exclude you. They're going to mock you, which is a nice way of saying they're going to make fun of you. They're going to curse you. They're going to call you evil. Why? Because you follow Jesus. He says, when that happens, be happy. What? How does that even make sense? When that happens, be happy. Yes, leap for joy. For a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, their ancestors treated the ancient prophets the same way. Listen, this ain't new. You're a link in the chain. That has been going back thousands of years. Stand firm. But what if they don't invite me anymore? Who cares? <laughs> if they don't invite you because of that, you don't want to go where they invited you. <laughs> what, if, what if they cut me off? No problem. Then you don't have to cut them off. Easier that way. Some of you get mad like, they don't invite me anymore. Aren't those the ones that you always got high with? Yeah. Doesn't God not want you to be around them anymore? I mean, I guess... Weren't you the one that had a hard time cutting them off? Yeah. So they cut you off? Yeah. So why do you think that's not God? I mean, I can still love them from a distance. <laughs> Doesn't mean you have to live with them and do all those things with them. And then listen, John chapter 15, verse 18 through 19. 
Jesus said this, if the world hates you, remember, it hated me first. If the world hates you, remember, it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But you're no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, and so as a result, it hates you. Can I just, let's be real transparent again. As a believer, if you don't have haters, I'd be worried. If there aren't people that are upset because of what you're doing, if you're not ruffling feathers, if you look like them, if they love you, it's because they think you're one of them. And you got to understand, I'm not one of you anymore. I've been called out of that. I still love you. I I still pray for you. I still want to be a part of your life on my terms. But the Bible is clear. If they love you, it's because they think you belong to them. You're part of them. And if they hate you, it's because you stand for things that they bother. It's like one of my close friends, uh, he, he wanted to convince me that weed was great. And, and some of you know, so don't say names. But came to my house. He runs a weed store. I love this guy. He's like, just smell it. I was like, dude, I know what it smells like. Get out of my face. It's like, I knew you before you legally sold it. So get out of my face. Why did it matter to him that I agreed with him? Because he didn't like the fact that I didn't really bothered him that I was against what he was standing for. But I can't be what he stands for and what God stands for at the same time. I can only be for one. And as much as I love you, I choose him. And that's the bottom line. Well, how come you don't hang out with us anymore? I choose him. I'm more than happy to hang out with you on my terms. I'm not going to go do the things you guys do anymore. I'm not going to ride around in the ways that you guys rode around anymore. But listen, if you want to go to Starbucks and get me a pink drink, I'm happy. Let's do it. Yo, pink drink's fire, by the way. You can laugh at me all you want, but that thing tastes good. It's like a watered-down quick, and I miss quick. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. Dang, I really want strawberry quick right now. (laughs) Babe, put it on the list. We're picking up strawberry quick after church. Listen. Think about this. Do you stand out enough for people to notice you? Do you stand out enough for people to not like the fact that you stand out? That's what happens when you get the haters. For me, I love the haters. I love that people criticize me. I love that people sometimes don't like me, don't invite me places. I'll be honest, there's moments where I'm a little salty. I'm like, dang, I thought we were cool. What's up with that? Dang, how can you got to cut me off your Facebook? You didn't cut anybody else off. All the mutual friends stayed the same except me. I didn't do nothing to you. Pastor Joey, always the first to get cut off because you don't want me to see your little nasty pics sometimes. Which, by the way, low-key, I'm really happy about that. I pray to God I never accidentally add on to your finster. I just, we're just going to be cool with everything else. But listen, haters isn't always a bad thing. just depends on what they hate you for. And there are going to be times where you try really hard with those people and you're not going to succeed. There's going to be times that you try to do it all the right way and, you, and you're trying to live the life that God called you to live and you're trying to reach your friends and you're trying to invite people and you're trying to preach the gospel in your school and you're not going to see the results you want. And you need to be careful because in those moments, if you're not careful, you might end up feeling defeated. And if you're taking notes, number three is the defeated. The defeated in this story are represented by the disciples. Part of why they're arguing with the scribes is because as they were trying to cast out the demon from the boy, they couldn't. 
They tried, they prayed, they did all the things that Jesus told them. Even before this, Jesus said he gave them authority to cast out demons. It's not like this is the first time they had done it before. But for whatever reason, in this moment, they couldn't do it. They did all the things they were trained to do, and they couldn't cast out the demon. There are going to be moments where you do everything right, and you're not going to see results. There's going to be moments where you try, and you try, and you try, and your friends are going to say, no, no, no. And you're going to walk away feeling defeated. Can I just tell you something? You can have failures and not be a failure. You can mess up and not be a mess up. The trick is, are you willing to try again? The only failure is the one who quits. You can mess up, you can feel defeated, but you got to be willing to get up and try again. Okay, there's going to be moments where you're not going to succeed. Out of 100, maybe three say yes, but that's three more people in heaven. You may try and try and get yelled at and you get spit on and people get angry and aggressive with you. That's not my problem. That's between you and God. But I'm going to keep trying. I've told you this story before, but I'll never forget. I, I had a friend in, in high school who was, I mean, ugly. Like, he fell from the tree and hit every ugly stick on the way down. Okay? I'm not trying to be mean. We just, he was ugly. And on top of that, he had permanently stank breath. Like, like medically stank breath. Like, only one of my friends could talk to him because he couldn't medically smell. And so they were best friends. <laughs> This dude always had Las Chicas, though. Always had a girl on his arm. And cute girls, too. I, and I would sit there and be like, yo, I have no clue how this boy pulls that much game. Like, I was insecure about myself. I'm like, dang, I know I look better than that dude. I mean, I know I'm not like the cutest here, but I at least look better than that dude. How is he pulling the Chicas and not me? <laughs> right? And all this insecurity began to well up. And then I hung out with him. And I figured it out. I found out his secret. He asked every girl out, all of them, airing her lungs, he asked. That was his criteria. Are you a woman? Bet. Let's go. And let me tell you something. If you didn't take statistics yet, if you didn't understand probability in school yet, when you flip a coin, right, 50% of the time you're going to get heads or tails. Well, you ask enough people out, somebody's going to say yes. Now, I'm not saying that's a good philosophy on dating because somebody might say yes who you should run from. Okay? But... When you take that context into your walk, listen, 50 people might say no to the gospel. I might try to talk to people. I may try to reach people. I may try to, to pray for them and, and, and continue to do that. And they may say no again and again and again. But if on that 51st time somebody says yes, everything before it was worth it. You can be defeated without being a failure if you're willing to get up and try again. Listen, Proverbs chapter 24, verse 16. The godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. Man, you may trip, but are you willing to get up again? You may spiritually mess up. And here's the problem. A lot of times when we spiritually mess up, when we make a mistake, when we've been working so hard, you, you went a month without looking at that site online, and then you have a day where you mess up. And most of the time where our mind goes is to this. Oh, well, I already messed up. I might as well mess up all the way. I already failed. I might as well fail all the way. 
I, man, I'm not kidding. I used to have that same mentality, right? I'm like, well, I'm 10 minutes late. Might as well be three hours late. Like, we've all been there. You shouldn't be like that. But we've all been there. And we do that with God. Man, I already messed up. I might as well mess up all the way. I'm already a sinner. But listen, that's not how God operates. God says, listen, you can mess up but still get up. You can make a mistake. It doesn't mean you are a mistake. You just have to be willing to try again. God has this thing called grace. We're going to talk about that more next month in our next series. God has this thing called grace, which is room to mess up. It's not permission to mess up. It's room to mess up. Meaning in that room, you're going to make mistakes, but God gives you grace to get back up and try again. Listen, there's going to be moments where you're going to mess up and it's going to cost you an opportunity to reach somebody. Because they're going to look at you and say, see, you're just like everybody else. And you're going to feel salty about that. Early on in my youth ministry, I know that there are people who stopped coming to youth group because of me. Because I, I joked maybe a little too much or I offended them or I did something that wasn't right. I made mistakes. And I had to live with the fact that that person will never come back to this church because of me. But if I stopped then, then I would have missed out on all the other hundreds of people who continue to grow in their walk because I was willing to serve God. Don't rob the future people simply because you made a mistake with people in the past. You got to be willing to try again. And even if they don't forgive you, and even if they don't forget, God will. And God would allow you to get up and dust yourself off. Can I be honest? Most of the time, it's not anybody who's saying anything to you. It's you. You're the one who feels insecure now. You're the one that feels like nobody's going to forgive you. You're the one that feels like everybody knows, even though nobody knows. You're sitting there going, everybody knows. Look, they're looking at me. It's like they're not. No. That kid's, he just, he's cross-eyed. He's not even really looking at you, bro. Dito, leave him alone. <laughs> but that's how we act. Because our iniquities and our issues begin to be projected on other people. And we feel like it comes back on us. Can I tell you something? If you're not messing up, you're not really trying. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to say the wrong thing. And you're going to learn from it. You're going to do something and, and it's going to have all the right intentions. And you're going to fail. And you're going to learn from that. And, you know, you're going to have your phone on and you're going to turn it off and you're going to learn. <laughs> We're going to have those moments. And guess what? It's okay. I ain't mad at you, kid. I love you. It's okay. But are you willing to learn from it? Are you willing the next time to say, hey, let me make sure I don't do that again? I already messed up once, but I won't mess up twice. And the last thing is this. You're going to have the haters. You're going to have the defeated. You're going to be dealing with the possessed. But you're also going to have the doubters. Number four, you're going to have the doubters. Who are the doubters? The doubters are the ones who believe, but only kind of. If you're taking notes, number four, the doubters. The ones who believe, but only kind of. Well, what do I mean by that? When you look at the father in the story, right, he's talking to Jesus. He's telling him what's going on. He's telling him how the demon put, uh, possessed his son and throws him into the fire and does all these things. And he's telling Jesus. And then he says something interesting. He goes, heal him if you can. And in this moment, Jesus kind of kind of has a little snapback on him that I thought was always funny. He, he interrupts him and he goes, what do you mean if I can? In other words, he's saying, well, who do you think you're talking to? I'm not the disciples. <laughs> I'm Jesus. I'm not your little scribes. I'm Jesus. 
What do you mean, if I can? It's almost like Jesus was insulted at the idea that it was only a possibility in his own strength. Jesus said, look, I can do anything with those who believe. The if wasn't a contingency on Jesus' ability. It was contingent on the man's faith. If God can do something, it has nothing to do with his ability. It has everything to do with your faith. Many times God won't do something, not because he can't, but because you don't believe. Because you don't trust. Well, why wouldn't God do it anyways? It's a good thing. Why? Because guess what? God won't get credit for it. You will. Somebody else will. Or the worst one, hey, you know, it just lucked out. Nothing lucks out. Right? You have to learn to have faith. Listen, James chapter 1, verse 5 through 8. If you need wisdom, ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea and is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. I will tell you, when I first started just even being a Christian and, and living out this walk, I remember there was a moment where one of my neighbors asked me if I would go to the hospital and pray for their grandmother. They knew I was a Christian. I wasn't a pastor. I wasn't a leader. They just knew I had a strong relationship with God. And I was the only person I guess they knew that had a strong relationship with God. So they asked me to come to the hospital and pray for the grandmother. And I can tell you, I, I remember getting to the hospital, looking at the grandmother and going, nah, she going to die. <laughs> just like, she old, she on all these machines, she going to die. <laughs> and so I remember my prayer was this, God, if it's your will, bring her back. But you know what it was honest? It was a cop-out prayer. It wasn't a faith prayer. I didn't believe God would do it. I thought, looking at the situation, she's old, she lived her life, good for you. Like, you got your family, go, go to Jesus. They brought me there to pray in faith. And I went there and prayed in safety. Sometimes we miss out on miracles because our faith wavers. Because we doubt. Because we don't think God can really do it. Because we look at the circumstance, we look at the situation, and we go, yeah, this is what it is. And that could have been a moment for not just me, but maybe that whole building, that whole family. And I'll tell you, those neighbors, there was like at least 37 people living in that building. It could only house six, but I promise you there was 37 people living in that building. And every one of them has a car, so parking sucks in my neighborhood. <laughs> But I wonder if that whole building would have known Jesus if I would have prayed in faith. But I didn't. I prayed a safe prayer because I didn't think God was going to do anything. And I didn't want their faith to doubt. That was how I painted it for myself. Well, if I pray in faith and it doesn't happen, then God, they won't believe you. And God's like, if you would have prayed in faith, maybe it would have happened and maybe they would have believed. You can always flip whatever excuse you have. We need to be careful to say, hey, do I really believe God can do this? Here's how I explain it for this situation. In my heart, by the end of this year, I want to see this youth group average more than 100 people. Now, so far in this year, the closest we got was 95 for a few weeks, right after breakaway, right after we came down from the mountain. But then we began to, and I get it, summer months happens. I think the lowest we got was last week, like 36. 
and a few people were gone, you know, like 20-something of us were gone. And I understand stuff happens. People go on vacation. You can't help it. I get that. But I'm ramping up. I've been praying. I've been asking the Lord to give me vision, to show me some things. We got a lot of things planned out for this year with the purpose and the intention to grow. Not to brag about numbers and not so I can go, hey, look at how many people we got. But I feel like this. If God has brought me here, he's brought me here for a reason. If I'm going to do something, I want to do it to the best of my ability. I don't want to do it halfway. But do you believe that God can do that? We had a goal in missions. We did great in the beginning of the year and then tailed off a little bit. Do you believe we can raise that amount of money for missions? A lot of this has to do with the faith that you have. And are you willing to believe and trust? Yes, I know God can do it. Yes, I know God's capable of growing this. I want to get to the point where I go, Pastor, legally we don't fit in this room anymore. We need to figure something out. We've maxed out the capacity and it's a fire code violation. That would be my dream. To have to go to pastor and go, oh, we might need to do two nights a week. Because they keep bringing their friends and their friends keep getting saved and they keep discipling people and they keep making disciples. And uh, we need more leaders, pastor. We don't have enough leaders. We need to figure something out. I want good problems. Right now, this is pretty easy if I can be transparent. This is manageable. But I want to see what God can do when we let loose. When you take hold of what God has called you to do. Worship team, if you can come up. So here's the deal. With all the doubts, defeats, and haters, how are we supposed to accomplish the purpose? Our purpose here at Excel is to do what God has called us to do, to reach our friends, those that are teenagers. And, I mean, you're not limited to that, but I'm saying for the sake of Excel, to bring them here. And, by the way, bringing them here is so that they grow, not just so that they get saved. You are capable of walking them through salvation at school. Because sometimes, here's what I hear. Man, I tried to bring my friend to church, and they said no. And I'm like, uh-huh. Did you think about bringing church to them? Did you think about as you sat there in the lunchroom and you're having this conversation, and they're telling you about how there's something missing in their life, and they need something of just simply saying, hey, I think I know what you're missing. Because I felt that same missing piece, and I think what you're missing is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And if you're serious about what you're telling me, I can pray with you right now, and you can receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But at school, yeah, at school. You do all the other things you're not supposed to do at school, might as well do that too. <laughs> what would happen if you gave birth to the new creation there and then you brought them here to raise them up? Because that's what this is supposed to be here. We're supposed to be here to partner with each other and to raise each other up, to disciple each other, to live life with one another, to grow in the valley. But God is equipping you to go out into your neighborhood, to go out into your school, to start a Christian club in your high school and invite friends there. Hey, I'm more than happy to support you. But don't put it on me to have to get every single one of your friends saved. Understand that the same power that works through me works through you. Well, I don't know what to say. Okay, one, study and learn. <laughs> Two, the Holy Spirit will speak to you at just the right time and will give you the words to say. And three, sometimes actions speak louder than words anyways. You just got to be willing to pull the trigger when it comes time to it. But there's one more step. Because you find in this story, right at the end, the disciples who did what they were supposed to do, who had faith, 
and yet couldn't cast out the demon, couldn't fulfill their purpose. So in Mark chapter 9, verse 28 through 29, they say this. Afterward, when Jesus was alone in the house with his disciples, they asked him, why couldn't we cast out the evil spirit? And Jesus replied, this kind can be cast out only by prayer. What does that mean? Well, let me say it like this. I mentioned earlier, we have so many plans for this year, for this upcoming semester. We have a series planned out for every month through November. We have big events almost every month. We have obviously momentum that we always go to, share the love and the grub. Some of you are starting uh, Christian clubs in your schools. We're serving in different capacities. We have all the tools and the plans to make this grow and to make this work. But we can plan all we want and still get nothing out of it. We can have the biggest event and still bear no fruit. We can come up with the coolest events and, and pack this place out. But if we don't learn to rely on God's power, we will never grow God's ministry. People don't get saved because you had glow-in-the-dark events. People don't get saved because you played cool music or you had a three-on-three -three basketball tournament outside. People don't get saved because we had a back-to-school bash or a small group kickoff or a breakaway. People get saved because those who are already saved are on their knees interceding on their behalf. The Bible says, Jesus said, they cannot come to me if they are not first drawn by the Father. As much as we do all this work, as much as we're going to try, we need to take time to pray. We need to ask God, God, open doors for me to speak. We need to ask God, God, draw them in. Lord, make it easy. Provide a ride. Simple things. God, I need a car so that I can pick up my friends. That was my prayer in high school. God, I need a car so I can pick up my friends. Now, God didn't give me a car in high school, but he gave me access to a car. So I rented my friend's car every week. I'd give him 20 bucks, and I'd fill his tank of gas so that I can use his car to pick up my friends throughout the city. And I would pick up 10 to 15 people a week. The most I ever brought one day was 22 people. Nobody made me do that. I would pray for the lost, and God would give me desire and the power to do it. And then I would have enough guts to get out and try now, I'm not saying you need to bring 22 people, but even if you only did two, that's two more. If everybody did two, that's multiplied already. That's almost 300 kids. You don't have to do all of it, but you should do some of it. So I'm going to ask you to stand as we get ready to close. And I want you to hear this last quote. It says, this total dependence on God is the remedy for many spiritual problems. Total dependence on God is the remedy for many spiritual problems. Now hear this part. To be disappointed in yourself is to have trusted in yourself. Now, what does that mean? Sometimes we're disappointed because our own efforts didn't work out. People will ask me, how'd service go? And it's always an awkward question for me. How do I know how service went? How do you measure the success of a service? Did people cry? Okay, people cried. Great service. Does that mean if people don't cry, it's a bad service? Oh, hundreds of people responded to the altar. Good service. One person responded to the altar. Bad service? How do I measure service? So here's what I always say. I did what God called me to do. 
My job is obedience. Your job is obedience. God's job is results. We don't need to worry about results. We don't need to worry about how many I brought, how many you brought. We need to worry, did you do everything God called you to do the way God called you to do it? If you say yes to that, you can go to sleep easy. If you say no to that, I pray that the Spirit of God would bother you every day until you do. So here's how we're going to close. I want you to close your eyes for a moment just to hear the sound of my voice. In a moment, I want to call you out. And we're going to take the next five, ten minutes. And we're just going to pray at this altar. And we're going to ask God to prepare the harvest. We're going to be the workers. We're going to go out and do the thing God called us to do. But we're going to ask God, God, would you begin to expand our territory? Would you begin to grow this ministry? Would you give me the desire and power to do what you've called me to do? Would you help me take ownership over this ministry? Not to put it off on Pastor Joey and on the leaders, but to understand that this is my time and my season to do what God has called me to do. And leaders, we want to pray for you too. That this wouldn't just be another season that you come and serve, but that God would make you passionate, that God would renew the joy of your salvation, that God would push you to be greater leaders than you've ever been. But before we do that, we got to go back to the purpose. Because maybe you're here tonight and you've been hearing all this stuff about the lost and about the possessed and all these other things, and you still haven't had a relationship with Jesus. You've never made that decision. So before I pray for everybody else, I want to make sure we take care of that. Is there anyone here who would say, Pastor Joey, I've never committed to a relationship with Jesus Christ. I, I don't have a personal relationship with him. doesn't matter if it's just one of you. It's okay. I just want to make sure before we pray for everybody else that we cover you. If you're in this place and you say, Pastor, I don't have that, but as you've been speaking, something's been tugging at my heart, and I know that I need that. Would you just simply, where you're at, raise your hand. No one's looking around. You just tell me if that's you, and I want to pray for you. Is there anybody here that said, that's me, Pastor? I need a relationship with Jesus. Awesome. So here's what we're going to do. In a moment, I want to pray, and I, I want to know who's, who's in this with me. Because I'll tell you, some people ask me, are you going to be as active now that your baby is coming? That baby has nothing to do with what God has called me to do here. If anything, it motivates me more. Because one day... You might be my child's leader. I want to make sure they have a good one. One day the people you reach might be the people that are my kids' friends or the parents of my kids' friends. What you do in your generation echoes in the generation to come. So you better believe I got a lot more at stake right now than I ever have. I'm not checking out. I'm checking in. I just want to know who's checking in with me. So here's how we're going to close. In a moment, I want to invite you. And if you're all in this year, if you're ready to go after it, if you're going to excuse the haters, if you're going to ignore the doubters, if you're going to press in and say, listen, I want to be part of those people who live in the valley and do the work that God has called them to do, then right where you're at, would you come out of your seats, meet me up here, we're going to pray together. And we're going to begin to ask God to do something. Come on, right where you're at, would you come on out? Come on out, come on out, come on out. Come on out, come on. Now's the time to be bold. Don't be nervous, don't be scared. Because if you're scared today, you best you know you won't do it tomorrow. Come on out, come on out, come on out, come on out. Leaders, I'm calling you too. Now here's how we're going to close. I want you to begin to ask the Lord. Lord, would you begin to show me? I believe God is going to begin to show you things. 
God may be giving you a vision for ministry. God might give you the, the faces of people that he wants you to reach. God might be giving you plans on how to do it. God might be telling you, hey, I want you to start a Christian club in your school. God might be telling you, hey, I want you to start reading your Bible with your friends at school and, and start teaching over there. I want you to begin to ask God, God, what are you asking me to do? We're not all going to do the same thing. We're not all going to do it the same way. God, what are you calling me to do? So right where you're at, I want you to begin to ask the Lord. Would you begin to talk to God? God, what do you want me to do? How have you called me to serve? How have you called me to move? What's my role in this ministry? What's my role in this youth group? I don't want to be a spectator. I don't want to be someone who just sits down and watches people do the work. I want to be a part of the work. Holy Father, would you begin to speak to them, God? Would you begin to press in on their hearts? Would you begin to give them a passion? Would you begin to give them desire? Would you begin to give them dreams and visions, God? Lord, move in their hearts right now, Lord. Would you begin to show them the faces of those that they've been called to reach? Would you begin to give them a passion for the lost, almighty God? Lord, I pray that you give them a passion for your word. Those who are struggling with saying, I don't know enough. God, I pray that you give them a passion to learn it. Just because we don't know it doesn't mean we can't learn it. Holy Father, speak to them tonight. Lord, I pray those that have a passion for worship, that they would worship when they're not on the stage, that they would worship in their schools, God. Lord, I pray for courage in this generation. Raise up a generation that is courageous. Raise up a generation that's not afraid of what the haters are going to say, that's not worried about what doubters are going to do. Lord, help those of us that are adults in this room to literally do what you've called us to do, God. Lord, to invite people to our young adult ministries, to invite people on a Sunday, God, to not ask our students to do something that we're not willing to do. Let us lead by example, Lord. Now here's how we're going to get ready to close. Some of those things are going to be pretty simple to do. But there are some situations in our life that maybe we've already been praying about, that we feel defeated about, that we feel like it's not going to happen. In this situation, the disciples, they cast out demons before but this is the first time they came across a situation that didn't happen instantly. And Jesus almost rebuked them for it. Because they tried in their own strength. And Jesus says some things, there are some situations in your life that are not going to be that easy. And some situations can only be accomplished through prayer and fasting. So right where you're at, I want you to think about it. If you got it, I'm not sure if everybody does. But if you have something that you feel, man, this is impossible. It might be the salvation of a loved one. You might be sitting here going, man, I prayed for my dad for the last five years and still nothing's happened. Well, maybe it takes six years for your dad. But you got to believe it will happen. I, I prayed for my mom. I prayed for my brother and my sister. I've been praying for my best friend and, and God hasn't moved. So some things can only be accomplished through prayer and fasting. So I want you to close your eyes for a moment. I want you to think about it. And if you have something, would you just raise your hand? If there's an area that you've been praying for that you stopped praying for because you thought it was never going to happen, would you just lift up your hand? Just keep it up for a moment. Okay, here's what I want you to do. If your hand is not lifted up, gentlemen, I want you to find a gentleman and go pray with them. Ladies, I want you to find a lady and go pray with them. So keep your hand up high if you have that need. And everybody else, I want you to find somebody. So guys, find a guy. Ladies, find a lady. Keep your hand up until somebody's come and put their hand on your shoulder. So start moving out of your way. Go find somebody. Keep your hand up until somebody's put their hand on you to pray for you. We got two ladies over here, so I need some ladies if you're free. We got a lady right there. And right where you are, would you just begin to pray for them?
Come on, we're going to intercede. We do this together. We're not separated. We're not on our own. We're not on an island. We're going to believe God for miracles. We're going to believe where you can believe. The father said, I believe, but there's a part of me that doesn't believe. And he asked God, help me with my unbelief. So, Father, I pray right now, would you begin to help us with our unbelief, God? Would you begin to help us with that area that we've given up on? Would you begin to help us with the area where we doubt, where we feel like it's not going to happen anymore, where we've tried for years, where we've tried over and over again, and we've been met with defeat? God, help us to get up again. Help us to try again. Lord. Help us to not give up while there's breath in our lungs, God. May we continue to intercede for our friends. May we continue to intercede for the lost. May we continue to intercede for our family. God, we believe you can do it because you've already done so much. God, if you did it in me, you could do it in them, God. If you did it in our lives, you could do it in their lives. So God, help us to hold on to faith. Help us to not give up. Help us to take advantage of this situation, to trust you through and through, almighty king, to press in when we feel like walking out, God. Move in a mighty way, oh Lord Jesus. Move in a mighty way, God. Lord, that they may be filled with faith, oh Lord. Not for our own vanity, Lord, but for your glory, for your honor, almighty God. That we could turn around and say, look at what God has done. Look at what my Lord has done. Hallelujah, Jesus. Make a way, God. Make a way, God. Heavenly Father, I thank you for every person up here, God. Lord, I thank you for this family because that's what it is. But Lord, there's a lot of our family that's not here yet. There's a lot of our family that don't know they're part of this family. God, I pray for this upcoming semester, God. Lord, I pray for all the purposes and plans that we've laid out. Lord, would you sign off on those, God? Lord, may you be the one that directs every plan we have. We ask that your spirit would speak when we're on the right track and correct when we're not. And Lord, we ask that you give us favor with our friends, favor with our family. When we begin to, to talk to them about you, when we begin to share our testimonies, when we continue to press in in our bedrooms as we pray for them, God, would you give us favor? Would you draw them in, Lord? And, Father, for those that are teenagers, as they continue to come into this place, Lord, I pray that they would find a place where they're loved. May they find a place where they're accepted and built up and discipled and challenged. Lord, I pray that immediately there would be a sense of family, that immediately there would be a sense of belonging, that immediately they would know that this is the place that you have called them to. So, God, I pray, help us to help establish that atmosphere. Help us. To not give up, God, to be faithful in everything you've called us to do. And Lord, specifically, I pray for these teenagers, God. May they take ownership over this youth ministry. May they understand this is their time. They are not the generation of the future. They are the generation of right now. That you have called them for such a time as this. To seek and to save that which was lost. To continue the work that you have called us to do. May we expand our territory in this room, not for our own vanity, but for your honor and your glory. Help us, Lord, for all this to be done in your name we pray. And everyone said? Amen. Amen. God bless you. We love you. Yeah, you can give God a hand clap of praise. Okay, so listen. Prayer is good, but action follows. So right off the bat, uh, we got back to school bash. Invite teenagers, invite 
Uh, it's for children, but hey, listen, teens can hang out and do some stuff. Maybe they want to serve and they can get a part of stuff. And then, and not next week, but the following week, we got the small group kickoff. Perfect opportunity to bring somebody. So you got two weeks to convince your teenage friends to come out to that and have fun with us. And I mean, I believe God is going to do great things. We got a new series coming up next month called Christianese. Every week we're going to talk about a word that we use at church that nobody really knows what it means. And we're going to help you understand what that means. And so I believe God's going to do great things, but I believe he's going to use you to do it. Amen? God bless you. We love you. We will see you on Saturday. Amen. Remember, if you're going to serve at Back to School Bash, head over to Room 5 right now. I want to give you a quick breakdown. If you're serving at Back to School Bash, head to Room 5. I want to chat with you real quick. God bless you.